And successful people are about that. They are good decision makers. They are hyper resilient. They don't stop at failure. They don't get in their own way from an ego perspective. They're looking nakedly at their own inadequacies. And they've got enough confidence to get people going behind them. That's the recipe. Tom and Lisa Bilio are entrepreneurs and co-founders of the billion dollar company Quest Nutrition. Today, they are the creators and co-founders of Impact Theory, which is built to impact culture at scale by helping people develop an empowering mindset. When it comes to igniting human potential, these two are legends. The Icons is a show where we ask life advice questions from those who achieved iconic success in the locations that bring their stories to life. My name is Tyler Way. We're in Los Angeles in Impact Theory's iconic studios. Tom and Lisa Billy, welcome to the Icons by Motiversity. Now, the two of you have built two successful businesses, one that sold for a billion dollars, the next that's reached a billion people. What's behind that success? First of all, I'm going to steal that. <clears throat> that's amazing. I, I like that. Really it's it's uh, amazing. I mean, flat out amazing. Yeah. So the, the only truthful answer is we run something we call the physics of progress. So I don't think of myself as being highly intelligent. I meet minimum requirements. There's no doubt. I don't want people to think I don't think I can you know, get my way through life. But uh, what I'm good at and what we're good at together is not being right all the time. It's basically learning from your mistakes. So the physics of progress is you come up with a hypothesis that should be as informed as possible. You figure out a way to turn that into something you can actually do. So you're going to run a test. Then you actually run that test. And then this is where most people fall down. You have to lower your um, psychological defenses to stare nakedly at the results. And oftentimes that's going to be you didn't do something well, you didn't think through this right, you made a mistake somewhere. And then if you're willing to do that and you learn from that, then you can re-inform your hypothesis, make it a little bit better, run that whole system again. And once you get in that loop, then you can really make progress. But yeah, that the the tenacity it takes to face your inadequacies and continue to try 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 that's where we've succeeded hmm. i mean that sounds very scientific right that kind of it's literally the scientific method recontextualized for business a hundred percent no way so but but progress can look like a lot of things so have there been trade-offs in this pursuit of progress? Yeah. <laughs> Have there a been lot. trade-offs, Mrs. Yeah. Bellier? So as he was actually saying it, one other thing that we do that I think is extremely powerful is we play a game called No Bullshit, What Would It Actually Take? So once we sit there and go, what is our goal? To build a studio as big as Disney. All right, before you even get started, we sit there and go, what? Like, no BS. Don't try and say like the things that we want it to be true. But actually, what is true, That what would need to be true in order for us to build a studio as big as Disney? And so we sat there and we said, okay, it's going to take us to put our own capital in. It's going to take us to work hard. What does work hard look like? Is it a certain amount of hours? It's a, is it a certain amount of achievements where you put things into place and you make sure you're always incrementally working towards that? Is it that you, maybe you have to, um, so this is exactly what we did with Quest, it was, oh, we have to put the house on the line. And that was like the no BS, that's what it's going to take for us to go all in and build Quest Nutrition. And so once we sat there and said, okay, it's going to take us to put our house on the line, it's going to take me at the time to be the, the supportive wife to come in and help you out. It's going to take no vacations. It's going to mean you're going to need to take a third of your pay cut. Like we literally sat down and wrote a laundry list of what it's going to take to start in Quest Nutrition. And once we had that list, we just looked at each other and we're like, all right, are we willing to do it? 
And if the answer, when the answer is yes, now you just know what you're heading towards. You know the type of path that you're about to approach. And so there's no surprises. There's no all of a sudden him coming home and going, yeah, babe, so the business isn't doing well. And so, oh my God, I'm so sorry, but we lose our house, right? There's no surprise. We've established what we're going to do in order to go for that goal. And in that comes the sacrifices. What are you willing to sacrifice? What are the things that you're okay with um, putting aside for now? And a lot of that was... Um, I think you said it earlier, my self-esteem, my ego of like, I didn't know what I was doing. So every day I'm struggling, I'm trying to figure something out and I keep failing. But I knew that I had to learn in order to get to the goal that we wanted to get to. So I knew every day I had to get back up. And then the same with him, with the skill sets. What skill sets do I have to learn in order to get to the goal that we, we, have to, we want to get to? And that comes with a lot of freaking sacrifices. Mm. I think that's really powerful. I mean, the way you, because excuses are a big thing for you, right? And it feels like that no BS list is almost like an excuse breaker. It's because you, you've written it down, right? So we, we put it down. We know what's on the line. There's no, there's no surprises to the trade-offs. Like there are trade-offs, but we know them. And we've actually confronted the excuses before they, before they become that burden in our ear. Is that true? A thousand percent. And I think you've said this. The thing with excuses is sometimes they're very true. And, but it doesn't serve you. It doesn't serve your goal. So are you going to let it sit with you or are you going to find a way around it? So let's say a lot of people's reasoning, which was ours originally when we wanted to make movies, is we don't have enough money. So we're just going to go and do this thing until we have enough money. We don't have enough time. And the truth is, if you play the no BS, what would it actually take? And you say, I don't have enough money. Then you keep going down and go, well, how much do I, money do I need? Okay, what would it take for me to get that money? And sometimes people don't want to look at the answers. So maybe it takes you having to sell your house, move in with your in-laws, and rent one of their bedrooms for the next three years um, in order to save your money so that you can go and start a company. Well, some people don't want to do that. Okay, well, at least now you have your answer and you're not sitting there using the excuse that you don't have enough money. You just looked at it and like, oh, to take, for me to get there, I need to live with my in-laws for three years. I don't want to do that. And now you've just decided. And now you're not beating yourself up over, oh my God, I can't believe I'm not there yet. Or like with us with Quest, there was no, we didn't leave ourselves any room with ex for excuses because we just went down that list of, are we giving this over? Are we doing this? Are we actually showing up? And if the answer is no, then how can you expect to reach your goal? So I think this is really interesting because there, there's almost an assumption that we haven't even talked about yet. And that is, before you make that list, like, how do you define success? Like, what became the thing that I want to achieve that? Or as a couple, you've been doing this, you know, you've been on this journey together. So how do you define success as a couple and individually? I mean, I'll let Lisa chime in for her, but to me, there's only one definition of success and it's entirely neurochemical based. So the goal is fulfillment. That's it. Period. End of story. The reason I say that is ultimately you could be a brain in a vat. This could be information theory. This may all be a simulation, right? And so once you know that that's true, she laughs, but mathematically it's actually way more probable that we're in a simulation that we're, than that we are in base reality. And that's been a really powerful um, way for me to think of my life. I actually don't think we're in a simulation, but it's a really powerful way to look at your life. 
And the reason it's powerful is you understand that the quality of your life is determined by the quality of your neurochemistry. That's it. This is why people, literally everything you do in life is about manipulating your neurochemistry. People are watching this show because they're hoping that we say something that manipulates their neurochemistry. You're going to put music under this. It's going to manipulate their neurochemistry. You're going to cut it in a way that manipulates their neurochemistry. They're going to do drugs, eat, fall in love, have sex. All of it is about manipulating their neurochemistry. So once you understand that is the game you're playing, that's life. Life is a game of manipulating your neurochemistry. It's why I tell people the most important thing to realize is you're having a biological experience. Nature understands that to get you to do the things that nature wants you to do, which is have kids that live long enough to have kids, that the only levers that it has to pull have to do with creating desire or pain, right? So you want to move towards something, you want to move away from something. And so fulfillment is the only neurochemical state that I think exists that's resilient to the ups and downs. Because if you say you just want to be happy, so transient, right? I love eating ice cream. There are few things that make me happier than sex with my wife and uh, eating a bowl of ice cream. Like those two are really, really peak. Hopefully and in that order. I have to think about that. <laughs> Can I do them at the same time? Uh, sure. So those things are like really peak. But if my entire life were eating ice cream and having sex, then I would get miserable. And so the irony of that, that that becomes transient, that it's not meeting some need that nature has baked into our hard wiring, it's like, okay, wait a second, then just pursuing happiness is not the right thing. So fulfillment, which I have a formula for, and I think this is universal, this is just based on what evolution has programmed into our brains, is you must work hard in pursuit of a set of skills that allows you to serve not only yourself, but other people. And when you do that, so we're a social animal, so you have to contribute to the group, that's just a thing. Nature had to make sure that you would get out of the cave, face a saber-toothed tiger to get fed, so you had to be willing to do hard things. Not only willing, but that if you didn't do it, you had a sense of disease. So that to me is the formula. So life is ultimately about go out, do hard things that allow you to serve the group and yourself. And if you do that, you'll have a sense of fulfillment, even in the dark days when it's hard, something goes wrong and it's a major struggle, but you're like, I know why I'm doing this, right? The act of service. I'm getting better at something. Improvement, as Tony Robbins says, uh, improvement is a foundational pillar to human happiness. It's like you've got in that bundle all the things you need to meet nature's requirements and you will feel, even when it's hard, satisfied. I'm like processing as you, because it feels like that's a lot to unpack there. And where my brain was going originally, as you're talking about, you know, neurochemistry is fantastic. But what about the drive? But as you start to get deeper into the, into the answer, it feels like, you know, packaged in that is also the thing that really drives you. That probably impacts your neurochemistry, but feels very unique to you. It, what would you say is your drive, Lisa? Do you consider like drive and mo and um, what's the word? Oh, my mind's blank. Drive and motivation. Yeah. Well, no, I wasn't going to say motivation. Um, passion, the same. Because really, the key to me being driven is identifying what my passion is and my mission is. So, if I don't have a passion and mission, then I don't have a drive. So, um, for me, my mission. So, for both of us, sorry. We, when we started Impact Theory, it really was to make change. So Quest was the answer to helping people in our lives who were struggling with weight. And Impact Theory was the answer to people in our lives who were struggling with a poor mindset. And someone like my mum, 
Quest was already a billion dollar company and my mum was still morbidly obese. And I was trying, because I care about her so much, I just want her to live for a long time. I don't care about you know, what she looks like. She's like, mum, I want you to eat healthy so you can be around for a long time. And I tried to you know, give her free Quest bars. I offered to pay for trainers for her. And every time I would say, you know, mum, like, what can I do? How can I help? She just said, I'm too old. I can't, I can't lose the weight, I'm too old. And over time we realized the power of the mind. That Quest was amazing for people that were going into the gym, picking up a Quest bar or like thinking, oh, I, I want to eat something healthy today. But it was meant nothing to the people that felt depressed, had anxiety, or didn't believe in themselves enough to even go after picking up a healthy protein bar like my mum. So for me, it really was the mindset was the big key. And then over time, as we started to talk about mindset and building a studio, because that was our background, we really started to realize that to create actual impact, like actual impact, we need to go after the younger kids because the age of imprint is between 11 and 15. That's the period where they're most susceptible to the messaging. And so if we really want to do no BS, what is it actually gonna to take to make global change on people's mindset? You gotta get them young. So we basically sat down and said, what does that look like? What type of studio do we build? And then for me, my personal thing has just been leaning more and more into young girls. It's I could wake up every single freaking day and fight for that 14 year old girl that was me that didn't believe in herself, that felt ugly, that was teased, that was made fun of for my looks. I will fight for that 14 year old girl so that if I can touch her then and let her know and have her help, help her to believe she can become anything she wants if she sets her mind to it and works hard, then I feel like my job is done. But it has to be to me on a global scale at that age, um, that's how you really make real change. So every day I wake up for that 14 year old Lisa. So that's my drive. I think that's what's so cool about your story together is that, you know, people see the success, but you're also really candid about the journey that it took to get here. And so, Tom, I mean, I think that I'm aware that before Quest started, you were in a dark place in your life for a period. Um, and, and so all of this stuff about mindset existed back then too, but maybe you weren't able to embrace it the way you are now. Where were you at then and what flipped the switch? So yeah, I was, I mean, depending on what year you're talking about, it was a very dark period of my life. And there really is, it's the one thing in my life that's just a line in the sand and there's before and after that moment. And it was realizing what I now call the only belief that matters, what Carol Dweck calls the growth mindset, which is that if I put time and energy into getting better at something, I will actually get better at that thing. And so just realizing, whoa, I could put time and energy into this thing and I will actually improve over time. And so that perspective shift will change everything in your life because now it's about skill acquisition. But the important thing there, the, the real breakthrough moment was realizing that what I built my self-esteem around mattered. And so I had been building my self-esteem around being right, being smart and being worthy and that was holding me back. And so I talked earlier about the, you have this thing called the psychological immune system. And the psychological immune system is going to give you reasons why that failure is not your fault. And the bad thing is that it focuses you outward, right? Like, oh, it's their fault. They did this. They're holding me back. The world doesn't want me to succeed, whatever. 
Uh, the good thing is it actually stops you from beating yourself up too much. And so if you can learn that, oh, wait a second, I need to value myself for something, but that something does not need to be being right. And so instead, if I switch it to, I'm going to build my self-esteem around identifying the right answer. Now, all of a sudden, you actually can have a growth mindset. You can be focused on getting better and improving and just learning because when you realize that you've made a mistake, it's actually exhilarating because you're like, whoa, I can run the physics of progress. I can get better at this thing and make this incremental improvement. And so that was life-changing for me. And so, of course, it wasn't like, oh, line in the sand, my life was bad, now my life is good. But it was line in the sand, I'm not making progress, now I'm making progress. And so that day really did. And I remember the whole debate that I had with myself. Uh, that day was like, oh, this is like the first day of the rest of my life. I'm no longer going to value myself for being good, smart, right, worthy. I'm going to value myself entirely for being willing to stare nakedly at my inadequacies, figuring out what I need to get good at, no bullshit, what would it take to achieve my goals? And then I'm just going to do that. And I'm going to do it knowing that success cannot be guaranteed. So I have to find a way to love this even if I were failing. And that becomes the magic cocktail. It doesn't mean that you ever stop wanting to win. Like I'm still very much motivated to win, but I'm not devastated when I lose and I'm optimizing for the struggle. So in the struggle, when I'm not sure if I'm going to win or lose yet, I'm still having fun. I mean, all of that sounds super logical, right? But so many people are caught, like not at the logic part, but at the emotional part where it's like, my brain gets this, but something's happening inside of me that I'm just feeling like I'm at arm's length from what I'm trying to achieve. So how did you go from like, and maybe you weren't there, but you know, emotional, because I think that a lot of people are, are listening to this thinking, cool, I want to achieve my dream. Maybe it's not happening as fast as I wanted to. I'm in an emotional spiral. How do you go from emotion to logic where now it feels like there's a pathway out here? Don't, don't try to get out of emotion, stay in it, live with it. I love it. Just recognize that you're having a biological experience. Nature has hardwired your brain in a certain way and not all of those emotions are useful. The problem is people think if they feel it, then they need to embody it and they need to act it out. I am highly skeptical of my emotions. So if I feel angry, I'm like, mm, should I be angry? Like, is this going to be useful? And so I have a rule in my life. I only do and believe that which moves me towards my goals. Now, that doesn't mean that I don't have a relationship with reality. I do because the only things that are going to move you towards your goals are things that are both true and optimistic. If it's not true, then you won't make progress because you the, the definition of true is the thing that allows you to better predict the future. And so and the way that people are gonna react or the way the world's gonna react, whatever. And so to make progress towards your goals, you need something that's true, but you also need it to be optimistic. So I'm checking myself against my emotion. I'm gonna have a negative emotion because that's what nature needs, right? Nature's trying to keep me alive long enough to have kids that have kids. Nature's not trying to make sure I enjoy my life. Nature's not trying to make sure that I achieve my goals. Nature has one goal and one goal only. Make sure I stay alive long enough to have kids that have kids. Now, embedded in all of that is my need to serve the community, my need to improve myself, my need to do hard things, like all of it. But once I know, that's the evolutionary motivation. Like, that's where that's coming from. So now I'm like, okay, I need to understand how the brain works. I need to understand what the emotions are. I need to understand what triggered the emotion. And so while I'm being a little bit tongue in cheek about, no, go ahead and stay in your emotion. The reality is I'm just trying to understand my emotions 
and then go, okay, how much of this emotion is useful in, in terms of moving me towards my goal? And then the exact amount of that emotion that's useful, I'm gonna use it and move forward. And then when you hit the point where it stops being useful, then you're gonna stop doing it. And I'll give you a, a fascinating example from my marriage. This was one of those moments where my wife, on a dime, changed my behavior patterns. It was amazing. <laughs> And you know the story. The funny thing is- I don't is, know what you're about to say. I've said it so many times, but you're gonna immediately be like, oh yeah, I actually remember that. Um, I was, so I have a real, real insecurity around my level of intellect. And I was just complaining and complaining and complaining and complaining about my intellect. And finally my wife goes, uh, complaining isn't sexy. Insecurity isn't sexy. And I was like, oh. <laughs> I was like, wow, it's really not. Did I just say that harsh? You don't, the, and I quote, <laughs> Insecurity is not sexy. And But was it harsh or was it like look babe? Harsh. It wow. was it was the verbal equivalent of grabbing me <laughs> by my No no no. I mean this to the letter of everything I'm saying. It was the verbal equivalent of grabbing me by my collar and punching me in the nose. And I was like, thank God for this woman. Because she didn't say it the first time I complained. She didn't say it the second or the third or the fourth or the tenth or the twentieth or the fiftieth. But Around the hundredth time, she's like, you do understand, like, this is not moving you forward. This isn't sexy, which is precisely what she knew I needed to hear. And I was like, thank you. And so that made me realize saying this, because one of the things I find most joyful in life is the way that she looks at me when we're alone and I do something cool. And I live for that. That's incredible. And so when she said that, I was like, wow, yeah, like I've really, I'm not, looking for you to uplift me right now. I'm looking for you to woe is me with me. And that's not useful. It doesn't take me towards my goal. And so it was really cool. Now, my wife makes me feel loved in the most extraordinary ways possible. That's seriously advanced class. You can't tell somebody that message unless you have loved them so completely and elevated them so many times and made so many deposits in that bank that that thing was received as like, damn, that was exactly what I needed to hear. And so that kind of thing can be very, very powerful, but you have to understand how you can get in your own head. You can be leading yourself down a destructive path. You need to pattern interrupt that. You've got to be thinking what's gonna progress me towards my goal. So being concerned about my intellect is useful to a point right? It makes me take things more seriously. It makes me go, hey, I'm not Elon Musk smart, so I'm going to have to like work harder, work differently, surround myself with intelligent people. So it makes me do those things. But the second it becomes corrosive and now I'm diminishing myself, that's where you have to pattern interrupt. And so my wife gave me all the grace in the world to recognize it myself, to, you know, try to lift me up. No, babe, come on. Like you're one of the smartest people I know. She's very kind to me. And she gave me the space to try to process through it. But when it was just like self-evident, I was never getting to the other side without some sort of cold water to the face. She said it. And because I have that rule in my life that I only do and believe that which moves me towards my goal, what she was pointing out is by believing that you're not intelligent enough to accomplish your goals, you're not moving towards your goal. So you need to stop and you need to stop now. And I was like, word, I do. And that was so true. And again, I want to contextualize this. If you've been an asshole to your partner for five years and you say this, this is just another tally in the asshole side. But if you are there, like we were just having this conversation yesterday and she came in the room 
I live with her. We work in the same house we live with. I see this woman almost 365 days a year. I must see 362 days a year. I mean, it's literally absurd. She walked into the room and I lit up and she was like, you do that sometimes where you, you will light up at the sight of me. And I'm like, yeah, because it's so ingrained in my nervous system that you're good. You make me feel good. You uplift me. You make me feel like the best version of myself. You look at me like you think I'm extraordinary. Like, and all of that 22 years in, my nervous system is just like, good thing, right? And so when I'm surprised and this good thing walks into the room, I'm like, whoa. So I say all of that so people understand. You can't just go around saying the hard thing to people like that. Like you have to earn that moment. But because she had earned that moment, it was so perfect. And you need those reminders to only sit in the negative motion, emotion, as long as it's effective. Because once it becomes corrosive, you've got to stop it, even if you think it's true. I hope people hear that. I mean, I can feel my heart pounding as you're saying that when you're talking about pattern interrupt. And the reason why is that I had a similar moment with my wife. Uh, we work together, obviously live together. We, we don't have kids. We're, we're locked at the hip. And I was about 30 years old. I'd been successful in terms of somebody opens a door and I can pursue that. But I'd never been able to open my own door. And she said to me at one time, and it was like that, by the collar, punch in the face. She's like, you're like that guy in his basement making music that nobody ever gets to hear. And I don't know why she used that analogy. I don't make music. But it felt like, oh my gosh, all these ideas that I'd been playing with, that I'd get three quarters of the way there and then find some reason to back off and then pursue the next thing. And I never tried to get it across the line. And so as you're saying that, I can feel myself, my body react to, that was a pattern interrupt for me. Wow, I hope people hear that in terms of, you know, when that, when that moment hits them to turn it into fuel like you did. So but I'm curious, like Lisa, what was happening in your mind? Obviously we've heard quite a bit of what's happening in Tom's mind at that moment. What was, you're a, you're a partner of this person. Like I'm gonna ask this question representing partners all around the world who may be with somebody who's you know, in a dark place, has this incredible potential. You see it, but they're not seeing it or they're not able to embody it. What was happening in your mind? How did you give him patience and then also let him know when the time was there? So I don't know if you felt like this, but here's the crazy thing. I didn't realize he was in that much of a dark place. And in my darkest times of us being together, I didn't tell him I was in my darkest place. And so in hindsight, realizing how deep he got and how many signs I may have missed, how many things, he wasn't just coming out and saying it. And then vice versa, when I was in that situation, I wasn't telling him. And I think about how many couples do that, where they maybe put on a good face, they say they're fine, they try to put on you know, the happy, brave face for the sake of the relationship, or maybe one of you is struggling, so you wanna show up happy, but you're still struggling yourself. How many of us convince ourselves that we're fine? And don't even ask ourselves the question of, are you happy? Is there a change you need to make? And so if we don't even ask ourselves that, how do we expect our partners to know? And so everything that I've heard about his dark days are all because he's spoken about them in front of the camera to try and empower others. And then the same for me, but what about those people that don't have our careers, right? Or have a YouTube show or things like that. How do they um, start to listen to their partners? I think it all comes to having the agreement that you're going to look inside yourself first and then start that communication. But if you're not saying it, 
If you're not saying you're unhappy, if you're not even acknowledging it within yourself, how can your partner be there for you and support you? So to me, and the one thing we always do in our relationship is we look inside first. If there's a problem with us or we're clashing over something, the very first thing we do is we go, oh, is this my fault? Or maybe even, this. if this was my fault, how could I show up differently? And that then changes the dynamic between us where I come in. And so real world example, we were clashing a few months ago. And I started to realize it's because I was getting very sensitive after he was saying certain things. And so I originally was just like, I can't believe you're just being mean. Like, you know me, we've been together for this long and you're saying something you know is actually mean. And then I would go away and I was like, okay, if this is my fault, How could it be my fault? And I'm like, oh, he's triggering me. I've recognized he's triggering me, but it's my trigger. So first of all, I have to own that I'm being triggered. I have to identify what that trigger is. And then it is my responsibility to tell my partner what that trigger is and how he's activating it. Now, even further than that, I won't just stop there and go, so please don't say that. No, no, no. Again, we're all, we have prioritized growth and growth together. So I recognize this trigger doesn't serve me. It's like what he said many times, right? Does this serve you? Yes or no. So I recognize this trigger doesn't serve me. So what I did is I said to him, I recognize I'm being triggered. I recognize it doesn't serve me. So I'm going to be working through it. For the time being, please give me the grace to not use this word, say this, do this. And then as we go along, I'll let you know, like I'm working through it and then we can kind of work through it together. But it all stems with me having to say that. It all stems with me looking inside myself, figuring it out myself and then communicating with that with your partner. So many of us want the other person to guess, well, they know me. I can't believe he doesn't realize I'm in a bad mood. You know, and it's it's always this like you have to read your partner's mind or guess where they're going through or what they're going through. And just having been together for 22 years, we realize that didn't serve us. And so go do, doing the inner work first, agreeing to that as a couple and then giving your partner space to communicate with you how they're feeling, what they're going through um, and then coming up with solutions together. But. I just, I just think it's very difficult to, for a partner to have the weight of, if you see your partner's going through something, what do you do? It's like, it actually has to start with a person that's going through it. I feel like that's like a masterclass for couples that you don't need to hear it right now. And I think that's one of the things that's so unique about you as a couple is that collectively you've now literally had hundreds of interviews with people who are masters at something. And when you think about patterns and you know after all of that intel that you've been able to uncover and explore are, are do you feel like there's any patterns or the biggest patterns that are holding people back from from achieving their success right now like what does it boil down to for you that's really simple so the most successful people in the world are the people that can self-soothe so can you avoid being triggered if you're being triggered and you look outward and you're angry at the person that triggered you that's weakness you are manifesting weakness and you have to go, ooh, someone has triggered me. That means I have an insecurity around this thing. I need to address my insecurity. And then that's going to put you in a far more powerful position to move forward. So the people that are successful, they can self-soothe. They can stay emotionally calm in the midst of a storm. When everybody else is panicking, they're only looking at solutions. And that's the other thing about the no bullshit, what would it take game. The whole point is to switch you out of problem mode into solution mode. Most people can only see these are the 152 ways that this could go wrong. And we started doing that to say, no matter how outrageous, there is a way to pull this off. So what would need to be true for this to work? 
Stop telling me all the things that aren't going to work. Tell me the thing that is going to work. And once you get to that, you go, okay, well, if we did X, Y, Z, it would work. Okay. Now, are we willing to do that? Yes or no? And if we're not, is there another thing that we are willing to do? But at least now we're operating from a position of that would work. And successful people are about that. They are good decision makers. They are hyper resilient. They don't stop at failure. They don't get in their own way from an ego perspective. They're looking nakedly at their own inadequacies. And they've got enough confidence to get people going behind them. It is this weird thing of, dude, I fear that I'm too dumb to do the things that I want to do in my life. I never know if I'm right. And I go all out every fucking time. And I'm just trying to make it happen. And so I have the courage of conviction to say, I know about myself. I will keep going until I figure this out. Not that I already understand everything, that I have the courage to figure this out. And then I will go through and I will weather that storm. People are intoxicated by that certainty where I'm like, hey, get behind me. I will get us through this. I am not telling you I already understand everything, but I am telling you I will not stop fighting until we get to the other side. Dude, the way that people will pile in behind you when you do that, I have the chills now because I know how people respond to that. So if you can manage your emotions, if you've got the courage to fight through that storm, if you're not easy to knock off your pedestal and you're humble enough to know that you're almost certainly making mistakes so that you know when to correct course, that's the recipe. What are you going at right now with that kind of conviction? We are going to make sure that nobody makes it to the age of 15 without encountering a growth mindset at scale through story. So right now, your zip code is the number one predictor of your future success. That is something we are very much not okay with. So um, I, I've worked in the inner cities a lot. Lisa's worked in the inner cities a lot. I worked there even before Quest. Together we worked there at Quest. We've had a thousand employees that grew up as hard as you can possibly imagine. People that were smarter than me for sure. I won't throw my wife under that bus, but they were definitely smarter than me. And they weren't doing as much with their life as I was doing with mine. And so I started telling them, hey, I can tell how smart you are, but your life does not reflect that. What the hell is going on? And that was when we realized that this is a mindset problem. Like just to be really inflammatory for a second, I will tell you right now, generational poverty is not about money, it's about mindset. And if you can break the mindset, that person will be set. So if you gave me the day they were born, somebody that was about to grow up in Compton, USA, not setting them up for success, and you let me raise them in an upper middle class area or a wealthy area, the things that they will learn will just be radically different. And that same genetics, they'll be fine. And so we started thinking, okay, then I'm going to teach people everything that I know about mindset entrepreneurship, all of it. We call it Quest University. I'll come in early. I will stay late. I will answer any question. I will tell you how to build a competitive nutrition company. I just want you to know I really believe in you and I really believe in your future. And people did it and 2% of them had changed their life forever. And we still, unfortunately, the, the most impactful story I have about that, we were just recently at a funeral of one of the people that worked for us at Quest. The, the mindset changed their life forever. And their daughter, who's now 19, came up to us and said, hey, I need to thank you to your face. You changed my dad's life and my dad changed all of our lives. And he always said it was the ideas that you guys gave him that you know allowed for this radical transformation that impacted our whole family. And he was one of the 2%. But we became obsessed with the 98% 
that don't do anything with it. So long story, we, as Lisa said earlier, we became obsessed with this idea of the age of imprint. It's from 11 to 15. Again, you're having a biological experience. The brain is just going through a very unique period where up until that point, it's genetics and essentially your parents that are influencing how you're growing up. But at that moment, you start drinking deeply of the culture. What music you like, you're gonna find your favorite movies, your best friends, like all of that stuff that's gonna echo through the rest of your life happens in that period. Stephen King has a quote, he says, you never have friends like you had when you were 12. And it's because of the age of imprinting. It's where you begin to distance yourself from your family, you begin to carve your own identity. And so we wanna tell stories at that age that embody the growth mindset. And so for that, we, I work 120 hours a week. We have put our fortune at risk doing just incredibly dumb things. Uh, if we want, you know, if we just wanted to sail off into the sunset, this is the dumbest approach to sailing off in the sunset that I could possibly imagine. Um, but we really believe that we can have that kind of impact. And so it's have that kind of impact or die trying. Wow. I mean, I could feel the force of that. Oh man, I'm, I'm like way toned back. Like this is something for real, for real. So I recorded a video called My Master Plan uh, you can find on YouTube. And it, it, it was breaking down like when you know who you're fighting for, like you can picture them, they're real people to you. And you know that the, the gap between them continuing to suffer and having a tremendous life is a set of ideas and you just have to get clever enough into how you get those ideas across, it's very, very easy to get obsessed. This is, I am obsessed. I'm not, it's literally, I'm not even thinking clearly. I, I have one vice and that vice is stress. And I endure stress in the name of getting those ideas across. I'm already rich. So what would be the point of doing all this? It obviously isn't for money. Um, and the part of the business that has made us quote unquote micro famous, it's like we could scale back to just that, but we don't. So because I think that the stuff that's made us micro famous affects the 2%. So everybody listening to this, you're in the 2%. The 98% are never coming to this channel. So those people, like today I said to Lisa, the last few days, my blood pressure has been so high, I keep getting headaches. And I'm like, you better have, when that happens and you go, why am I doing this? You better be compelled to your core by the reason. So I think one of the things that, you know, as you're talking through that, you know, 120 hours a week, you could have ridden off into the sunset. You didn't, you know, work ethic starts to boil down to how do I actually manage my days? Like, how do I actually get up in the morning, get something rolling? and do this 365 days a year or whatever the pattern is over that time. So do you have, and I'm looking at you, Lisa, do you have routines, rituals that feel like, okay, all of this stuff is true, but it's gonna come down to me waking up and then having another great day. And then tomorrow, waking up and having another solid day, like that pursuit of progress. What are the rituals and routines that you have? Yeah, I definitely have because I've ha um, had a lot of health issues. So for like six years, I've been dealing with just like the worst gut um, issues you can possibly imagine. So when it first happened, I couldn't eat for like, at it was what, four? I was legitimately afraid she was going to die. It was that scary. So for about six months, I was on like three or four ingredients. I couldn't even put pepper on my food. I was in such gas 
gastric stress that because I couldn't eat, my hair was falling out, my nails were brittle, my stomach had been protruded out to here. So my her blood was glucose was in the 40, low 40s, upper 30s, which is like you may start having a seizure territory. Yeah, and I was just permanently there for a year. Um, and six years later, I'm still struggling. So just to kind of give you an idea of how bad it was. Because of that, I realized I had um, ignored my body. We were building quests. I focused on how many hours am I putting in? Am I on the grind? How do I make sure that I show up? Because I was so insecure, I definitely thought that if I put more hours in, it would like outweigh how um, incompetent I was. And so I just kept putting more and more hours in. I was ignoring my health. My health absolutely fell apart. And since that day that my health fell apart, I said, I cannot show up for other people if I don't take care of myself. It's obviously very cliche. We have the whole oxygen mask now before you put on someone else, but it's so true. And it took my health literally falling apart for me to realize, oh, Lisa, you are a human being. You have to listen to your gut. You have to pay attention to your body. That then created an entire system of a morning routine for me that sets me up for success because how am I supposed to impact people if I can't even take care of myself? So I created a morning routine that was definitely optimized to me. I tried a million different things. I tried meditating, I hated it. I tried yoga, I fucking hated it. And then I realized my jam was going into the gym and lifting heavy weights, listening to music and singing at the top of my lungs some you know destiny's child songs like that was my jam i realized i felt so good after i did that so i started to stop listening to other people telling me what i should do and i just left space to experiment in the morning with a different thing so i got up and i read and i was like this is really boring right so i just tried a bunch of things and then saw what was the best for me same with the food my breakfast has all been optimized because of my gut health i've tested so many different foods to see what sets me up for the day with brain clarity with energy that's all to do with experimentation once i found all these moments of optimization i then created my morning routine but the biggest thing the biggest thing that changed it for me was my saturday routine i take saturday mornings off completely i switch my phone off i tell all of my i've told all of my friends all of my family you cannot reach me on saturdays period. My friend, and of course, everyone pushes back. What do you mean? What if we need you for, you know, emergencies? And I was like, you can text Tom. I'm with him. And so, you know, you kind of start telling more people, more people just like, yeah, but what if I don't have Tom's number? It's like, but you know him who knows Tom. And you're like, but what if I don't know someone that knows Tom? Said with love, then I, you're not close enough to me to warrant disturbing my self-care time. And so I've made it a rule. I got massive pushback. I stuck by my boundary because I set this boundary up for my own self-care so that I could show up for everyone else. And so I set this boundary. I stuck to my boundary. And now, like years later, everyone respects it so much that if I go to say to someone, oh, okay, yeah, let's do it on a Saturday, they'd be like, no, 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 your phone's off. I'm not going to talk to you. And so setting that boundary, setting that space, and then I'm creative. So I pick up a pencil and I just draw, it's all I do. And that's my time, that is what we call selfish time, it is my selfish time. And every Saturday, I do everything I possibly can to be at my art desk um, and serve myself first, so that is imperative. If I don't do it for a couple of weeks, I notice the difference in my spirit, my energy, my happiness, my enthusiasm, how I show up in our relationship, how I show up as a leader, everything. I think that's, a, a such an important message, and I hope people hear that, is that do, 
Do routines matter? Yes. Do rituals matter? Yes. But do your rituals need to be mine? No. And I, I can I can give myself the space to experiment and whoever can give themselves the space to experiment to figure out what works for them and to, to and to feel like something will work and to kind of keep keep exploring until they find it. And, and I'm thinking back, you know, when we go back to that age of imprint and you know, there's 14 year olds out there who will be listening to this. And our commitment to you is to get this to as many of those people as we can. Um, who are, who are fighting, they're trying to figure out their rituals, they're trying to figure out their routines, they're trying to figure out how do I get my life down the track. If you could send a message, Tom, to those, if you could speak right into the camera and say, you know, this is my advice to you, what would you say to those 14 and 15 year olds right now? Okay, you can become anything you want to become, but you're gonna to have to pay a heavy price to get there. So the question is, what is it that you wanna do? Most of you aren't gonna know the answer to that. So you're gonna go explore, as Kevin Kelly says, don't prematurely optimize. Go experiment. Go try things. Just like Lisa was saying, go play around. Go enjoy yourself. Figure out what it is that you like. Nothing is ever going to be self-evident. You're never going to come across something like, this is what I meant to do with the rest of my life. You are going to find something that gives you more energy than it takes. When you find something that when you do it, you're like, ooh, this is fun, and you're actually energized by it, then you're going to go down the path of actually gaining skills in that. The more you engage with that, if that continues to be more fun, now it will become a fascination. Once something becomes a fascination, now we're gonna really figure out if we can serve other people with that set of skills. If you can, you've got a hope of turning that into a passion. Passion is about acquiring enough skills at something that other people care about and you. You have to care about it first and foremost. But if you care about it and other people care about it, now you get into that reciprocal relationship where and it could be playing the guitar, it could be playing video games, right? Think about somebody that's just an absolute God-tier gamer, and other people will show up at a stadium to watch them play, they'll sit on Twitch for hours watching them play. So you're doing something that brings joy to other people. But they had to get freakishly good at that. They had to spend a lot of time improving their skill set. So they worked hard to gain a set of skills that allows them to serve not only themselves, but other people. That is the name of the game. The problem is people are expecting something to be self-evident. They are told a lie that they're born with a purpose. You're not born with a purpose. You're going to decide that this passion, this thing that you've worked your ass off to get good at that allows you to serve not only yourself, but other people, that's now your purpose. So when I was at Quest, my purpose was making sure that people had food that they could choose based on taste and it happened to be good for them. At Impact Theory, the goal is to give people a growth mindset at scale through story. So I'm just doing entertaining things, but it's designed to help them get that right mindset. That is my purpose. That wasn't my purpose when I was 12 or 20 or even 30. So you're going to decide and then you're gonna do things to reinforce that in your own mind. We're gonna get that out. I, I mean, 14 year olds, 15, I mean, at any age, to just feel like there is a, there's an opportunity and, and, and that's the pathway forward. Yeah, it's, there's so much of this is just mechanical. It's mechanical. And so everybody in Impact Theory University, if you ask them, which I do frequently, uh, what's the epitaph I want on my tombstone? It's you're having a biological experience. I really want people to understand, like you can learn about the brain and it will reveal things to you about yourself that'll be unbelievable. If you're trying to get in a relationship, if you haven't read books about the difference between men and women, you're in real trouble. The world will be very confusing to you if you think that men and women are the same. So understanding the biology of this stuff, that was one of the big turning points in my life 
that finally allowed me to believe in a growth mindset was I just started researching the brain. And it was like, oh, there's a saying called brain plasticity. Your brain actually changes no matter how old you are. Your brain changes. And I was like, okay, well, if that's true, then if I put time and energy into something, my brain will change, I'll get better at it, and that will improve my skills. And then another obsession of mine is to get people to understand skills have utility. You don't read a book to get an A on the test. You don't read a book to check something off a list. You read a book to learn something that lets you do something in the real world that other people can't do. And so uh, Elon Musk has a great quote, you're paid in direct proportion to the difficulty of the problems you solve. So you're learning something so you can solve problems, hard problems that other people can't solve. And so once you understand, oh, this is mechanical, my brain is designed a certain way. There's a certain path that I have to walk to gain skills. And then skills let me do something other people can't do. And by doing things other people can't do, I'm able to serve myself and the group. That's fulfillment. Fulfillment's the point. It, it is so mechanistic. It's all just deadly simple. And when I'm giving honest answers, I'm always looping around, this is how the human mind works. And every time, every time I say something controversial, it's always about biology. I'm just like, okay. Like, if you want to fight it, fight it. You're going to die tired, and I will propel myself forward because I'm not judging what is true. I don't deal with the world the way that I wish it were. I deal with the world the way that it is. Speaking of tombstones, Lisa, what do you hope your legacy is? Ooh. So Tom and I really spoke about this when we were deciding on kids so I when we got married I very traditional Greek Orthodox woman I wanted four children then having been thrust into a startup company called Quest Nutrition I decided I really love business and I really wanted to go down that path um, and then when I started to think about kids I was like why why did I want kids in the first place like I just started to give myself space because I didn't even question it it was like I just was told I was going to have kids so when I started to ask my myself the question the very first thing that came out was always oh, because of my legacy and then I was like but what does that even mean like we throw it out as a word but have we identified like what legacy may mean to me because I think it can mean something different to each person and so as we were sitting I was like well I want kids for a legacy what does that actually mean it means okay when I'm dead how am I going to be remembered someone will remember me and I was like okay well Yes, if I have kids, my kids will remember me, but is that what I want legacy to mean to me? And what I realized was like, no, we've actually dedicated our lives to global impact, to helping as many kids out there as we possibly can. And so I started to realize, oh, legacy wasn't having kids, like actually having kids. Legacy to me was creating impact that when you're gone, someone will, um, has, you have touched their lives. And to be able to, meet a woman that maybe has read my book Radical Confidence or has said that they've seen a piece of my content and I've taken them from believing that they were maybe worthless or had no value or they didn't believe in themselves and something they heard me say shifted their mindset enough that they believed in themselves after that and they still have to do the work and things like that but being able to make that shift um, is such an incredible gift I think like gift for me that I'm able to see other people shift their lives it's amazing and so again I can wake up every day thinking of that 14 year old girl that maybe is teased or bullied and thinks that she's no good and yet something that I do makes her believe in herself 
that just makes my heart sing. Um, and then eventually, I think, um, ideally, it's for someone to say they have radical confidence, but they don't realize it even came from me. That I've impacted culture and the way we think about ourselves and the way we think about confidence so much that radical confidence has now become a blueprint for all, I want to say women, but of course for everybody, to the point where they don't even realize it stemmed from me because it's such ingrained in how they think. Yeah, I can... I can feel the fire from the two of you. Radical confidence has come up, mindsets come up, age of imprints come up. You know, all of these things that are driving you, I can feel it. My final question to you, for Tom and Lisa Bilio, what's next? You look at me, that's interesting. Oh, you know I have my answer on lock, so. I mean, there's so many things that are what's next. The thing that I'm the most excited about so we've, we've, we've been on the, so, the side um, creating a lot of storytelling for young kids. And I've really been um, leading the female uh, story that's called Wish Academy. And it's Women of Impact Superheroes. And it's a Gossip Girl meets Harry Potter. So each year is a school year, four girls in the superhero world, um, where I've kind of basically written the character as if it was me with you know, um, her superpower is empathy, but everyone thinks it's a really lame superpower because you can't fly and it's not the speed of lightning or anything like that. So everyone ignores her superpower and what you realize is, it's actually the thing that ultimately everybody wants. So getting out a story that is really directed for those young kids is so exciting to me. So I think we have, um with the Web3 technology, we're a part of a movement that is completely creating a new form of entertainment. It's what I call signaling molecules. So NFTs give you the ability to create a, a type of entertainment experience that's never been seen before, where based on what you have in your wallet, you can come into a game world and that game world reacts differently to you than it would to somebody else. And it not only allows you to have experiences inside the game world, but it allows us to have experiences as AR matures, to have experiences in real life. And when I flash forward to five to 10 years from now, where we're gonna be with that technology and AR, you will be able to, if you love, let's say Harry Potter, one of the most amazing uh, franchises of all times, unreal, and I read that stuff in my 40s, uh, and was just like, oh my God, this is so good. It's so good, I feel badly about myself. Like to give you an idea, it's so amazing. Uh, but if you love Harry Potter or whatever, whatever your thing is, fill in the blank, that you'll be able to go and let's say that uh, there's a place in London that, oh, when I was writing this section of the book, I was thinking of this part of London. And you go there and depending on the state of the technology, either your phone buzzes at you or your glasses just automatically start displaying something since uh, Mr. Zuckerberg is racing to get those AR glasses done. Uh, and you could have that character uh, show up and start talking to you. You could have a whole little micro experience play where you get like a behind the scenes look into what was happening. And you could do like for us, we have a project called Merry Mods. It's a Christmas project. And uh, at some point in the future, our goal would be that if you go to any of the famous Christmas trees around the world, that there will be a little scene from the story that actually plays out around that tree. And so if you went to Rockefeller Center in New York, 
your phone would buzz or your glasses would start up and you'd be able to see this piece of the story playing out there. And so now you're able to tell stories in this really holistic way. So you've got, um, we did, so we have uh, another thing called Project Kaizen, which is again a story-based world. And we had one of the characters take over our Discord, show up in character, and do a live Q&A with the community. And it's like, you know, that's the tip of a very, very, very large iceberg. Uh, and so I really think that we can trick people into absorbing the most powerful, empowering ideas that the world has to offer through pure entertainment. That sounds like a wild ride. Hey, it's going to be crazy. Coming up? Listen, I mean this sincerely. I, I'm fascinated by people who are really good at life. And I feel like for me and those listening today, this has been a masterclass. I really appreciate this conversation. Thank you, man. We, we love doing it. We're always honored when somebody has us on. So thank you. For those of you who are catching the icons for the first time, I mean, this is what it is. Iconic people, iconic locations. My name is Tyler Way. Stay tuned for what we've got coming next.